1: Guess what? We're getting closer to the Beauty and the Beast episode.
0: Yay. But But, we're not doing Beauty and the Beast.
1: Yeah, it's like, but not yet. Don't get
0: too excited. (laughs) Just closer.
1: The longer that we drag this out, I feel like the more pressure I'm putting, like,
0: on that episode. (laughs) The better not suck.
1: Yeah, that it's like, if it's super lame and I have nothing to add to, like the dialogue about the story. I'm just like, Oh, and here's the version. I just tell the like Disney version. Everyone's going to be so let down. So I'm putting a bunch of pressure on the story by being like, no,
0: <laughs> we not- have to build up to it with 12 episodes in- before it.
1: <laughs> and I keep being like, it's going to be worth it. It's all relevant. And it's we're just like-
0: never going to be able to talk about it. We're just never going to be able to do a beauty and the beast episode. The pressure will be too great. It'll be like our winds of winter. Or whatever that next, you know, Game of Thrones book that's been supposed to have been written for the past like 10 years, but hasn't been.
1: Do you want to know what's crazy about you mentioning George R. R. Martin at the same time that you're mentioning Beauty and the Beast? What? is he was the writer of the 80s television show, Beauty and the Beast. Yeah,
0: with Ron Perlman as the Beast. Yeah. Yeah, he was. I forgot about that. Yeah, he was the writer on that show. So
1: like Chess Now, when you said that, I was like, is he referencing like the Game of Thrones?
0: That's awesome. That's
1: what I I heard. What was it? Somebody had written on the internet somewhere that they were like, if George R.R. R. Martin is not finishing up that book during quarantine right now, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Like, this, like,
0: if it's not, it's never going to happen. If it's yeah, not happening yeah, now,
1: if, if it's not happening now, it's never going to happen. That's just a fact. But we still have an awesome episode for you, even though it's not Beauty and the Beast yet. But we're getting closer because now we're going to be talking about Bluebeard. And Bluebeard is a maiden killer tail type. And then it's closely associated with the rescue by the sister tail type. So Ah. their tail type's 311, and then the rescue by the sister is 311, and then Bluebeard is 312. For anybody who's going to look that up in the index now, I told you.
0: What, what is this? Like you've done this before where you I mentioned have these numbers.
1: The Arn Thompson Uter types? Those are three last names of people who have put it together through the years. They call uh, it the the ATU index. Okay. And the ATU index is all like the tail types and there's and which, gaps. Yeah. And the numbers which go stories up. correspond. Exactly. And the numbers go up to, I think, somewhere around 2,300. Holy crap. But there's not, well, so I'm going to make it sound like it's a smaller number, and then I'm going to remind you that it's actually probably a way bigger number. Every number from like zero to 2,330 or whatever, it's there's not like a tail for each one because they'll there'll be like, tail type 310 and then jump down to like tail type 25 or something like that like there are gaps like that in there but but then within each one of those some of them have subcategories
0: right and they have like 20 hundred now that's not a number but they have a ton of stories per category
1: (laughs) exactly so it's like i'm like oh yeah there's like 2,000. It's like, ooh, that's a lot. And I'm like, well, but it's not, but it is more. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's anytime I mention like tail type and then associated number, it makes it easy for you to like type in ATU tail types and then the number. And then there are tons of websites usually put together by different universities that like you can click on the link and it'll open up different versions of that story. So I'm glad that's that cool asked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, even if I probably butchered the name.
0: No, yeah, they're probably dead by now, so it doesn't matter.
1: I think all of them except the last guy.
0: So the only one whose name you messed up
1: yeah. <laughs> is the one that's alive. <laughs> I think so. Oh, Classic man. Katrina. Yeah, I, I'm like, I feel like nobody should be upset when I mispronounce... Anything, because I mispronounce everything. That's true. <laughs> I'm equal opportunity mispronouncer.
0: <laughs> we should get that embroidered on a pillow for <laughs> your office.
1: Except every word spelled wrong, because that's, <laughs> that's also something that I have a problem with.
0: So, following up, before we get back off of this tangent... I'm sorry. With the tail types, does them being close in number have anything to do with kind of like being... Related to each other or not is that arbitrary?
1: Uh yes, to one of those questions. Uh- <laughs> so yes, it
0: is. It does have something to do with them being yes related. Like,
1: yeah, the if they're close to each other, they usually are have like things in common with each other. That's why like Bluebeard and the Rescue by the Sister Tale type. You'll see that even though they're like one number apart, they don't fall into the same category as each other. But they're like cousins shared
0: elements and whatever
1: yeah they're really really close to each other they just they just differ and kind of like we'll see in this one the main thing that makes them different is like the endings of Mm -hmm. like how how a rescue takes place so i do want to do some setup for Bluebeard. so this is a story that was written down and recorded by charles perrault We've talked about him a couple times. We've talked about him when we did this. We mentioned him in the Cinderella episode Mm -hmm. because uh, his version is the one that Disney used to make Cinderella. So we didn't retell that. Right.
0: Um, But we brought it up because everyone already. That's the one that's like what people know.
1: Exactly. And then his Sleeping Beauty that was recorded in his book, Stories or Tales from Times Past with Morals. Tales of Mother Goose. Yeah, that was the whole title. (laughs) Gravity was
0: not his strong suit. No,
1: and there's only eight stories in that book. I was like, (laughs) I'm like, dude, the title was longer than that. But anyway, and then we talked about his Sleeping Beauty version. And his was the one that had the ogre mother-in-law who wanted to eat the babies in the second half of the story. Yeah. And something that's interesting to note like with that title of the stories or tales from times past with morals tales of <laughs> mother goose that mother goose character which then kind of became when it was translated into English other people would take mother goose that name yeah. and use it for stuff so mother goose originated with Charles Perrault or at least is believed to have originated with him and he used this like imaginary motherly figure to frame his collection of stories. And we've talked about framing stories, but like collections of stories before, usually with like an old lady mother figure. And in the front piece of the book, like kind of like the title page and whatever of the, his original book from 1697. Yeah. There's a, picture of an old woman holding a distaff obviously (laughs) like what else would what else would
0: she be holding if that surprises you by now i don't know where you've been for the other 23 episodes of this podcast
1: (laughs) and then there's like three children around her in front of a fire like completely engrossed in like what she's saying so there's that like mother goose character but anyway so inside of that book there's eight stories, and Bluebeard is going to be the third one that we're talking about. And I'm sure we'll get to... If we if we get all ones. eight, then
0: we get a, a Charles Perrault bingo, and <laughs> we officially get to release a version of his book that has a shorter title. Yeah. As our prize.
1: Oh, man. We're going to have to come up with like what that title is going to be. It wouldn't stories. be
0: hard. <laughs> <laughs> stories.
1: It wouldn't be that hard to make it shorter.
0: No. We could cut it in half and still have quite a few words to work with.
1: <laughs> that's what like every now and then I'm like, oh, should I like s- like try to say the full name of it like in the original French? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'd be fun to
0: mispronounce
1: like twenty- 27 words. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All in a row.
1: <laughs> that's what that's what our listeners need is for like me to like ruin French. <laughs>
0: Uh, maybe a bonus episode could be you uh, reading one of these stories in French,
1: <laughs> and just my butch like just butchered <laughs> French.
0: That would be awesome.
1: Fun fact about Katrina: I took six years of French in. I middle- didn't know that. Yeah, I took six years of French in middle school and high school. <laughs> I was
0: gonna say it explains a lot about you too that you were in middle school for six years. <laughs> <Yeah>. But continue
1: <laughs> right now through middle middle school and high school. I took six years of French and I only got to level two. But anyway, yeah, I don't speak any French. It's like, it's pretty sad uh, considering like how much time I like
0: spent in a French classroom. Sp- yeah, I
1: spent in a French classroom and no, like absolutely nothing. Back to the good part. So I'm sure that eventually we're probably going to cover all of the stories in Tales of Mother Goose, which is how I'm going to shorten that title. I think that's actually a pretty standard way that people shorten it. Just Tales of Mother Goose. I mean, Little Red Riding Hood is in there. So that's his stories are probably going to come up again. Um, Yeah. Is why I'm giving you like all this back information that has nothing to do with actual the Bluebeard story. But it is relevant to know that inside the title he mentions that like each story comes with a moral. Because we're going to be talking about the moral at the end of these at the end of this story.
0: Oh yes, we will.
1: So I would say that Bluebeard is one of the more famous lesser known tales because a lot of people that I know have some kind of vague name recognition with it. Like with Puss in Boots, people hear those names and they're like, Oh, I think I've heard of this story. But then if you were like, okay, repeat it to me or summarize it, they'd be like, Nope.
0: Yeah. That's that's like exactly me with both of those. Like yeah. Bluebeard, I'm like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that. It's like a story. I know it's French. <laughs> it's like a story. And there's a dude with a blue beard in it, I'm guessing, but mostly from the title, you know? Yeah. Obviously, and... I've prepared to read it, you know, retell it. So now I know. But before yeah. this episode, I really didn't have much of an idea.
1: There was actually one time I posted something on the Instagram about Bluebeard and somebody messaged and was like, Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only person who had heard of this story as a child <laughs> and was like scarred. Cause this this story makes it onto the lists a lot whenever you see stuff online that's like Grimm's Brother stories that we can't believe were for children. This one always makes it on there.
0: Even though it's not a Grimm's Brother story.
1: Exactly. But yeah, it's like, it's always like included with the...
0: Like gruesome stories. Yeah,
1: like fairy tales for children. What? And so when Jeff's done retelling the story, we're actually going to be talking about was this story originally for children and why was it marketed for children? Because uh, after Jeff tells the story, it's going to become very apparent that this story is not for children. Um, also, the fact that we probably are going to put a content warning at the beginning of this <laughs> is like, oh, yep. So, without further ado, Jeffrey has a tale for us.
0: Bluebeard by Charles Perrault. <laughs> <laughs> this is a production of the Fairy Tellers Podcast Retellings. Um, so, once there was a man who had multiple houses, but not only did he have multiple houses in the country, in town, and all over the place, but they were like super nice, awesome houses. They had silver and gold plates. They had really fancy furniture. You know, his coaches that he would be driven around in were like gilded with gold. So this guy was like super, super rich. He was like the Jeff Bezos of fairy tale France. But this man, though. Lucky in money was very unlucky to have been I was going to say born with a blue beard, but you don't really have a beard when you're born. He had a blue beard, which everyone knows is the worst color for your beard to be.
1: What's what's <laughs> also interesting, the tale has a different disgusting feature based on what region is like telling the story. Uh-huh. And they think that the reason Charles Perrault picked a blue beard for this story is because at that time in France, no one, it wasn't fashionable to have a beard. Like if you were an aristocrat, you did not have a beard. It was gross. You had a clean shaven face. And so to have like a beard that was like a weird color.
0: Right. So it was like gross on top of gross.
1: Exactly. It'd be like if somebody was like, Oh, this guy had tons of money, but he was always covered in like pit stains and had like a scraggly neck beard that caught food in it. It'd be like, Oh yeah, we all feel grossed out now.
0: (laughs) Now we all feel uncomfortable. So he had this blue beard, which made him quote, so frightfully ugly that all the women and girls ran away from him. End quote. Which that's pretty dang ugly if they're like literally running from you. Anyway. One of his neighbors, who is a lady of quality, quote unquote, which I just love. I'm going to be doing a lot of quote unquotes because there's in this translation some really awesome wording of some things. She had two daughters who were just absolutely gorgeous because, of course, it's a fairy tale. It's got to be. So he really, really wanted to marry one of these two daughters. And so he's like, you know what? Lady, I want to marry one of your daughters, but I don't really care which one because they're both gorgeous and I don't really care about their personalities, apparently. So <laughs> you pick which one and whichever one you let me marry, that's the one I'll marry. But both of these daughters were like, I don't want to marry this guy. Like, yeah, he's rich, but he's got a blue beard, which is disgusting. And so they were like going back and forth between them. Like, who, like oh, today it's going to be this one that we think is going to marry her. No, nope, no, it's going to be this one. And, you know, but they were just so you know, disgusted by him that they never could take a bullet and be like, I'll be the one that marries him. And adding to this was the fact that he'd already been married multiple times before, but no one really knew what happened to his other wives. So it was like, kind of like really creepy vibes, whether he like scared them off or whatever, you know, like there, there's some red flags that this guy had been married so much anyway. So in order to, try to win them over because he was, I think, getting the hint that they did not want to marry him. He was like, "Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out to my house in the country. You can bring all your friends, you know, whoever wants to come. We're going to go out there and we're going to have a huge party. So they go there, they party, they go hunting, fishing. You know, it's like such a great time that like no one goes to bed. They just stay up all night joking and doing stuff. And so like one of the young daughters having a really good time is like, oh, you know what? It's like. His beard doesn't look that blue. I mean, he's kind of like a nice guy. I guess I'll marry him. And this was the youngest daughter, by the way. Yeah. So when they go back, she marries him. And then like a month later, Bluebeard's like, hey, I got to go on a trip. I'm going to be gone for like six weeks. I got to deal with some business stuff that's like really important. Um, But he's like, you know what? I want you to. Be able to have a good time or whatever. Like, you can have access to the whole house. Do whatever you wanted. So he gives her, like, keys to the wardrobes where he has, like, furniture. Gives her the keys to the place that has, like, the silver and gold plates. He's, like, opens up all these strong boxes. Like, here's money and jewels and all this stuff. And, like, here's a key to all of my apartments in every room. And then here's this key that goes to a closet at the end of the Great Hall on the ground floor. You can go in any of these rooms, use any of the stuff, spend the money, have a good time. But... You cannot go into this little closet. It's like, I forbid you to go into this closet. And if you go into this closet, I will be very upset. And so she's like, okay, yes, she promised to do exactly what he had said. And so he gets in his coach and drives off. And all of her friends and neighbors were like so stoked to come to this rich guy's house that they didn't even have to be like sent for. They just like saw that he was leaving and showed up ready to party. Mm -hmm. Uh, they, They just wanted to hang out and like see all this, the cool stuff that this guy had. So as they're going through the house, like looking in all the rooms, like looking at all like the gold and the silver plates and all this stuff, like just being amazed. So they're running through this whole house and she's like been married to this guy. So she's seen it all before. And her friends are just like going on and on about how great this stuff is. But in the back of her mind, she's got this idea of this closet. She's like, I've seen all this stuff before, but I've never seen what's in that closet. So like her curiosity was so strong that she didn't even care about the fact that it would be like extremely rude to leave her company is what it says that she ran down like a little back staircase while they weren't looking. It is like she went so fast that she nearly fell and broke her neck, (laughs) which I don't know why, but I love that little details like.
1: That it's like she was so eager yeah, to she's like, do exactly what she was told not was, to do. But.
0: That she just was like running down so fast that she's like falling down the stairs and like almost breaking her neck. Anyway, she comes to the closet door and she stopped for a moment thinking about her husband's orders and being like, oh, man, he's going to be really mad if I disobey him. But the temptation was so strong that she was like, screw it. <laughs> Takes the key, opens the door. And she's like trembling with like excitement and anticipation. She opens it and she can't see anything at first. And this is where the creepy horror music starts. It's a dark room. The curtains are drawn. The windows are shut. And after a few moments, she starts to see the outlines of things. She can see a little better as her eyes adjust to the dark. And she sees that the the floor is crusted with coagulated blood. And around the walls are the bodies of dead women who are his wives that he had married and murdered one after another. And in her fear, she dropped the key on the floor. And so she was a little less excited about being in that closet at that moment. So she (laughs) grabs it, picks it up, slams the door, locks it up, and then runs up the stairs just as fast as she ran down.
1: (laughs) She was a little less excited.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just a little bit. Um, And when she got upstairs again, she came about her wits a little bit and looked at the key and noticed that the part that had fallen on the floor was covered in blood. So she tried a few times to, like, wipe it off, but it wouldn't come off. And then she tried to wash it. She, like, washed it with, like, soap. She even, like, rubbed it with, like, sand and, like, gritty stuff to try to get there. But the blood was still on the key. And no matter what she did, she couldn't make it go away. And it was kind of, like, as if by magic, if she, like, was able to clean one side of the key, the blood would just appear on the other side. So that same evening, Bluebeard comes home saying that he'd gotten some letters while he was headed out of town that said that whatever business he was going to take care of kind of took care of itself. And it was like worked out in his favor. So he was able to come back and she was still pretty freaked out about seeing all these dead bodies in a closet of his former wives that had been murdered. But she pretended as best as she could that she was like super happy about him being able to come back early and so the next morning, he's like, oh, hey, can I have the keys back that I let you use? And she's like, oh, yeah, sure. Um, And she, like, with a trembling hand, hands the keys back. And he's like, hey, uh, where's the key to the closet? You know, the little key. And he's like, oh, um, yeah, uh, I, I think I must have just left it upstairs, I guess. And he's like, oh, just bring it back down to me. That's really important.
1: That's the key to my murder room. I'm going to need that <laughs> back later.
0: Bye. Yeah. It doesn't say it in this version, but I heard another version that talks about how, you know, she made she was like walking around for a while pretending like, oh, I, can't, I don't know where it is. Like she went around pretending to be looking for it. Like, where could this key have gone? I don't know. But, you know, he's kind of like very upset. So she's like, oh, man, I have to bring the key back to him. And so she brings in the key and he's like, uh, why is there blood on the key? And she's like blood drains from her face. And she Very appropriate Wording there On accident The blood drains from her face Not because of anything That has happened to her But because she's so scared And she's like I don't know And he's like You do know I know that you know You went into my closet My murder closet when I specifically asked you not to.
1: When I handed you the key.
0: <laughs> when I handed you the key, which brings up this whole thing that we'll probably get into later, but it's like, why did he, ha- What? why did they do this? Why did they give them the temptation? There's pro- in this case, there might be a reason. But anyway, so, so he's like, you know what you did. You were disobedient. And because you were disobedient, you, you were probably going to take your place with the ladies that you saw inside of there. And so at this, she like throws herself at his feet and she's begging him and crying. And she's like, I'll never disobey you again. And uh, it says, you know, she was so sincere and so upset that she would have melted a rock. So beautiful and sorrowful was she. But Bluebeard had a heart harder than any rock. And he said, you must die, madam, at once. And she was like, oh, no. And she's just crying and crying. She's like, since I have to die, can I at least say my prayers? and so he's like okay fine i'll give you a half of a quarter of an hour but not a moment more and so then she's like okay one half of one quarter of one hour so that's a quarter of an hour is 15 minutes and half of that's like seven and and a half minutes by the time she calculates this you know like she's already lost like a minute and a half of the time she's like oh crap i only (laughs) have six minutes left So she she runs up to the tower and she calls out to her sister, saying, "Sister Anne," uh, which, by the way, that was her name, which they decided not to tell us until the end of the story, and we never hear what the main girl's name was.
1: Oh, I can tell you later
0: <laughs> what it was,
1: what it became.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'd be I'd like to know, but I like to just point out the fact that the sister in the story gets a name, but yeah. the main, main woman does not. Yeah. So she calls out to her sister, which I don't know how her sister, I mean, I guess they were neighbors, but I'm like, I didn't picture them being so close that her sister would be able to just hear her, like, shouting out. She's like, Oh, uh, go and see if our brothers are coming. They said they were going to come today to, like, hang out and party at the house, I'm assuming, while her husband was supposed to be gone. She's like, if you see them coming, like, give them a sign and tell them to come quicker. And so her sister Anne, like, goes to the highest tower in their house and is like, uh, I don't, I don't see anybody coming. It's just like, the sun and some grass. And then, you know, meanwhile, Bluebeard is like holding his s- saber, unsheathing. He's like, come down here right now or I'm going to come up to you. And she's like, oh, just a minute longer. I'm not quite done praying yet. She calls out to her sister again. and Anne, do you see anybody coming? And so the sister's like, Oh no, I don't see anybody coming. I think there's like a cloud of dust in the distance. And she's like, oh, it, is it, is it our brothers? And she's like, oh, no, you know what? No, it's just like a flock of sheep. And I'm like, why doesn't she not tell the sister what's about to happen? And all the while, like, Bluebeard is like, all right, come down now. And, the, and the, his wife, you know, Bluebeard's wife, who's about to be murdered, is like, no, 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 uh, just a minute longer. Then turns back to her sister. and Anne, do you see anybody coming? I was like, oh, I see two horsemen, but they're still, like, way far off. She's like, oh, Tell them to come here as fast as they can. And so Bluebeard had been losing his patience. You know, cried out so loud that the whole house shook, it says. And his wife at this came down and threw himself at her feet. Tears streaming down her face, her hair all a mess. And trying to gain some sympathy from Bluebeard, he's like, this means nothing to me. You must die. So he takes her hair with one hand, lifts his sword into the air with the other, And just as he's about to strike her head off with the sword... And at that instant, there was like a loud knocking at the gate that made him stop. And then, boom, the, the doors fly open. Two horsemen entered, and it's her brothers. And one of them was a dragoon, and the other's a musketeer. So they run up, then they like shoom, wah, chop their sword through him and leave Bluebeard dead, just as she was almost killed by her husband's sword. But, you know, she was so distraught from all this emotional turmoil that she'd been through, seeing some dead women in the closet, almost getting murdered himself. She didn't have enough strength to rise up and welcome her brothers. But since she survived and Blueberry did not, he had no heirs because he murdered all of his wives before he had any children, I guess. The wife became the mistress of the estate so she could do whatever she wanted with it. So she used some of the money to help her sister and marry a great young gentleman and that had a long and happy life with With her sister Anne, she used another part to buy captain's commissions for her brothers who saved her life. And she used the rest to marry herself to a worthy gentleman who made her, after a time, forget about the horrible, horrible time that she had when she was the wife of Bluebeard. So the moral of the story is, if you're a disgusting creep who wants to try to trick some young women into marrying him, all you have to do is have a lot of money and invite her and all her friends out to your country estate to have a baller party. But that was just my takeaway. The moral (laughs) that Charles Perrault put at the bottom of the story was, Number one, curiosity, in spite of its appeal, often leads to deep regret. To the displeasure of many a maiden, its enjoyment is short-lived. Once satisfied, it ceases to exist and always costs dearly. Another moral, apply logic to this grim story and you will ascertain that it took place many years ago. No husband of our age would be so terrible as to demand the impossible of his wife, nor would he be such a jealous malcontent. For whatever the color of her husband's beard, the wife of today will let him know who the master is.
1: Both of those morals are so problematic.
0: (laughs) They're like stupid and like long-winded and pompous. Yeah. And my moral's pretty crappy too, but it was built into the story, you know. It
1: was, it was. Um... Woo. So, yeah. That's a, a lot. There's a lot to unpack.
0: I'm going to be honest. I was expecting the blue beard to have like a much deeper significance. But I mean, it. so it does. It, it makes sense as far as having a beard at all was like looked down on. You know, it wasn't like the style of the day. So that was kind yeah. of an unnatural thing. Or like a off thing, but then it's like, oh, let's just make it blue to make it even more off-putting. Apparently, okay. this guy hadn't watched the Hunger Games because lots of people have crazy colored beards in that, and they look awesome.
1: In a later Italian version, there's. <laughs> To me, yeah. than like a blue beard, but again, like we're looking at it from the sensibility of people Up who today. can who can dye their hair, right? But like when they were telling the story, they basically were just trying to think of like what would be something that would automatically make someone go, "Ugh, that's yeah. gross."
0: they were um, trying to pick it like th- like it was unnatural, you know?
1: Yeah, and actually, so this there are a couple elements in this story that once it was kind of written the way that it was written in later years, when artists went to do their different renditions of it, they Mm -hmm. actually illustrated the story in the style of like the middle East, where they had the groom wearing a turban and having like a big full beard Uh kind of because they were like, Oh, big full beard. Who has a big full beard? I guess their brains immediately went to like seek people who have, who grow long beards and they don't cut their beards and they don't cut their hair and they Uh like have their hair up. And so that's kind of what the art turned into, especially because it was kind of this way to say, like, oh, this guy, this husband, he's like from another place that's scarier than like ours. And since this was in Europe and they were like, what are the scariest people that we can think of? And of course it's like <laughs> racism. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, this is what we should do. And so a lot of the, uh, illustrations then kind of place this story in people's minds into the Middle East. Yeah. And so the, this wife's name and a lot of different versions that came after this that were based off of this. They gave her a name, Fatima. They tried oh. to give her like a name, or Fatima. They tried to give her a name that sounded a little more like it came from the Middle East. They wanted That's to. That's really give, interesting. Yeah, but what's funny is they they did continue to leave the other sister's name as Anne, as Anne. <laughs> which is like what? Um, and so, in some versions of the story, even if it's a Charles Perrault. If it's based off of Charles Perrault's version. Yeah. They'll include that name, Fatima. Uh-huh.
0: Because she doesn't have a name. So it's like, because she oh, doesn't she's been called a it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And they're like, oh, she's been called this before. Here you go. And so, yeah, if you like look at old illustrations and you're like, why is this? Especially like the saber that he had. Right. They, the way that it's illustrated, they draw it much more like the weapons that are found in the Middle East. So, yeah, there's some little bit of a little bit of racism thrown in there for you.
0: But it is comforting <laughs> to know that it didn't come from Charles Perrault. It seems like yes. his whole idea was it was like this was France that this was happening. It doesn't yeah. say it in the story like I know in my retelling I said that, but only because I knew it was a French story. Yeah, but it does seem like it's generic enough that I guess you could easily transport it to anything. But it's like it.
1: Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't place the story in any Anywhere. Like, one place. But yeah, I mean he is playing towards the sensibility of like the people that he was writing to in France. And so right. to say all oh, this person had like a blue beard, it was just kind of like an uh, unnatural feature that would kind of label this person as like there's something off about him.
0: Yeah. Uh um, like I like the example his, you brought of like the silver nose. Like
1: his blue beard was a red flag. <laughs>
0: should have been a red beard, but people actually do grow red beards.
1: Yeah, like my husband.
0: (laughs) (gasps) Red beard.
1: He's like, don't go into the cupboard under the stairs, (laughs) but here's the key.
0: I like the one of the silver nose just because I thought of like, one, it it like reflects it. And I know that's from a different version of the story, but it's like. It reflects the that they're rich, like even either it's like a fake nose that they're covering his real nose with to try to look something, and it's like. Yeah. But the fact that it's made of silver is like also showing off the riches. But it's also something that it, it it does seem like it's showing that person's character, like the fact that okay, even if they had like a bad nose or like an accident or whatever, the fact that he would be covering it up and choosing to cover up with a silver nose rather than like a wooden nose or whatever else was yeah. the case, like it's kind of like indicative of their character. Plus it's a very memorable kind of like striking feature in the similar way that a blue beard would. If I saw a guy with a blue beard walking one way and a guy with a silver nose walking the other way, I would, you know, my my head would go both ways to look at both of them. I wouldn't pick one over the other. They'd be equally fascinating to me.
1: And this also was like a period of time when like if people were born with with any kind of like like birthmark or anything like that, they would it's like superstition would have them kind of look it at that and be like,
0: like a sign of
1: a sign of something. It'd be like, what, what does this, what could this mean? And, and so people would look at other people's outward features for like a mark of a witch or yeah. like, like, Oh, are you favored by the divine or are, have you been like cursed yeah. by evil spirits? Like, Something and so if people saw something that was so obvious, like a blue beard,
0: they, they would
1: they would think look uh,
0: into it and think more of it. Then, yeah, oh, that be, guy's blue is, beard is blue.
1: Yeah, and be like, like, oh wait, why is that? Was again? I almost was like, was he born with that? Um It's like this. Can you imagine Maybe he's his born with mother?
0: It. Maybe it's Maybelline. <laughs> his mother giving birth to a baby that has a full blue beard
1: yeah that oh I've, man your wife just had a dream about my wife a just baby had a beard. dream
0: about like a baby that we had a baby and it had like a full beard and she was like it was the weirdest thing and on top of that just today so my wife had this dream like Two or three days ago. Today, we're watching a YouTube video about someone talking about Wish.com. And on Wish.com, they had an ad for like a cream that you put on your face that will help you grow a beard if you can't grow one. And one of the things it says is, do not give to children. And they have a picture of a baby with a beard photoshopped onto it. And it was like, how did that happen twice in one week? An image I've never even thought of in my whole life. Suddenly, yeah. twice in one week has two bearded babies appearing in my life. Yeah. And we're recording a Blue Beard podcast. Beards. It's a sign. I need to shave mine. Apparently, because <laughs> they're <laughs> horrifying. <laughs> but okay, so you brought up the time period. What? What is? I don't actually know when Charles Perrault lived and when these stories were going on. Yeah. Or so he being recorded.
1: Yeah. So he he. The Tales of Mother Goose were published in 1697.
0: Oh, wow. So that's yeah. even earlier than I thought.
1: Yeah. And so, and these stories and stories like this were circulating for uh, a while in the area, yeah. which has had some people in the past kind of ask the question of like, is, is this story based on like a real murderous husband? And so they've like looked through like, you know, Crimes and newspapers of centuries past, and like this time period. Yeah. And some people every now and then be like, Oh, there was this person. And so there are a couple like, people. Any,
0: that, any person in history that had murdered their wife in like France, they're like, oh, Is this the real Bluebeard?
1: Well, because I think like there was like, yeah, because there are people who w- murdered children or murdered yeah. a couple like women. And I mean, what's frustrating to me about that is like two things. The first is and this comes up a lot anytime somebody's like, "Oh, all fairy tales have to be based on some real event, right?" And I'm like, "No, why would it have to be? Why I don't why do people think that our ancestors didn't have the ability to use their imaginations?" Yeah. Like
0: Like is, oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> is Lord of the Rings based on real events? Is Star Wars based on real events? Like <laughs> maybe it comes from something. No. Yes, it has, like, theme and story elements and, like, motifs all about, like, the human experience and, like, human emotions and interactions. But just because somebody came up with a story and they're like, it's so crazy, it just might be true. Like, no. (laughs) Star Wars isn't based on a true story. Let it go.
0: It's weird that it, like... To people, it adds to the magic to take away from the magic. You know what I mean? Like, it adds to the magic of a fairy tale and, like, the aura around a fairy tale for it to be based on something real. To, like, make it less fantastical, makes it more interesting And people want to believe it. We talked about this with Hansel and Gretel. We
1: did, yeah. Like, there
0: was the guy in, like, the 70s or 80s or whenever it was that, like, faked this whole thing about, like, the real Hansel and Gretel. And people fell for it. Even though he wasn't trying to trick people, he was trying to do it as, like, a completely over-the-top ridiculous satire. But people wanted to believe it so badly
1: Yeah, that they
0: did. It's just so interesting.
1: Well, so what's interesting to me about this is that, you know, people are like, oh, is this story, like, based on a real thing? Like, a real horrific murderer that lived it? And I'm like... You know what? It might not be based on like one specific person, but guess what? Like domestic violence is something that is pretty much always been happening.
0: And so,
1: so it's like, are some husbands violent? Are some husbands capable of murder? Is domestic violence still happening? Yes. Yeah. Like and we
0: talked about this before with you know some of these other build up to Beauty and the Beast episodes where it's like that's kind of what the the tail types that we talked about before is representing is like people are afraid because when you're in this time too you married people often who you didn't know they were complete strangers and you didn't know if you were going to be marrying a monster they might not have been like a literal murder every wife that they've had keep them in a creepy kill closet in their basement type of monster. But they could have been very abusive, emotionally, physically, whatever as well. And you don't know. So it's like on the it's going off of the real anxiety that women would have felt and been relatable at the time because they were worried that they'd be marrying someone that they didn't know. And this person could be someone they didn't get along with or was abusive to them or whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, Like women still today, the people that you are most likely to be like beaten, raped and murdered by are the men in your life. And like that's a fact Probably a fact back then, too, that it's especially because groups were smaller and uh, probably every man that you knew you know, like, <laughs> was
0: related to in some way. Yeah, so it's like
1: oh, somebody in this group. And that's why this this is more of like a horror story of yeah. like, I mean, we've talked about people of love sitting around telling ghost stories, telling creepy stories to each other. Like that's just humans like that. And the
0: yeah, the, it it is really fun to tell. Like that part to get into the creepy basement. She opens the door. Yeah. It is fun to like make that turn.
1: Yeah. And people, people still like horror movies. They still like horror stories. Like they, you know, it's not gone out of vogue and like people still like to sit around the fire and tell scary stories. And so originally this story was probably a horror story that people would enjoy telling each other as, like adults would tell each other creepy stories and it kind of turns fairy tales on its head because the way that we imagine like fairy tales, especially like for children, it's like, and they all lived happily ever after or, you know, like, Oh, and then she found a man who fulfilled all of her dreams. And this takes that and any good horror story it takes hold of what people are already afraid of, what your audience is already scared of, and it amplifies it. Yeah. And because it's like, that's the tactic even today. Like the best horror movies are the ones that take an anxiety that people already have and then amplify it. Yeah. And that's basically like what what this is and why this story was like popular to tell Now what I kind of want to talk about is what Charles Perrault did.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What did you do, Charles?
1: Because what Charles Perrault did was he took this story and he gave it to children. And then he stuck on horrible morals to the end. So he
0: actually did intend this to be... He... For children.
1: Yeah. So I think the word that I've seen the most often is that Charles Perrault appropriated this story and gave it to children very inappropriately. (laughs) And the reason why he did it was because of this moral that he stated at the end. Because like, this story is not for children. No. And (laughs) he stuck it in a book that was specifically... For children, Because we've talked about how, like, the Brothers Grimm, their book that they wrote, it was, ha- like, a collection of household tales that were for adults and children. Yeah. But it was supposed to be just a collection of tales that were told, like, around the household. But Charles Perrault picked eight stories and was like, these are for children.
0: This is what kids today need to know.
1: Yes. And what he foisted on them was his own moral to the story, which was... <laughs> not just
0: one, but two. <laughs> not
1: just one, but two. So let's, I'm like, let's talk about the second one first, just because we've just talked about how, like, if you're a woman, your husband or your boyfriend is the person most likely to be physically abusive to you. Yeah. Even today, that's always been true. So his second second moral is something along the lines of, you know, different translations. Take the time to stop and think and to ponder this grim little story. You surely know that this tale took place many years ago. No longer are husbands so terrible, demanding the impossible, acting unhappy and jealous. They toe the line with their wives. And no matter what color their beards, it's not hard to tell who's in charge. No, Charles Peralt. Okay, first of all, no, there are still horrible husbands in the world. Yeah. When he told this story... And the, the whole thing that just rankles me of the kind of, like, we know who's really in charge in a marriage. Nagging yeah. wives. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like the kind of, like, patronizing and, like, so untrue, especially in 1697 yeah. or whatever it was. It's like, yeah, I'm sure that was the case when, like the woman of the household was not even allowed to own land or whatever.
1: Yeah, it was like the woman was property. And then they're like, but we know who's really in charge. And it is always that like kind of tongue in cheek, like joke that like, like nagging women control their husbands. And it's, uh, so like just that, that moral that he has there that he's like, just remember that like, this is a story and like, no, like a husband would never do something also, I want to I want to look at just for a tiny second the word demanding the impossible, acting unhappy and jealous, because there are some people, and I guess it is their their prerogative to they associate the the key and the key getting dropped like in blood and being stained and marked as a woman cheating on her husband that they're like, Oh, it's like, it's a, it's a symbol for like a woman cheating on her husband that like her husband goes away and then she becomes defiled by another uh-huh. man and her. And I'm like, that's quite the stretch.
0: Yeah. I was like, that's, you're <laughs> really, really reading into some things if that's what you're yeah. getting out of that.
1: Because it really is like, cause you, you asked the question, when you were telling the story that you were like, why do you give them the temptation? That was your question. Like, yeah. why, like why would he give them? If you the don't temptation? want
0: her to find your murder closet, don't give her the key and be like, Hey, don't go in there. Just don't give her the key. Maybe she doesn't come across it at all. Like but, hide it behind yeah. a tapestry or something. I
1: think like the simple answer to that question is that like, he was a murderer and he wanted an excuse. Yeah. To like a justification.
0: To murder. To murder. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I would apply to. Like, Oh, he was just a crazy guy. He wanted to murder her. That's what he likes to do. Yeah. So he wanted an excuse. He's not just going to murder her for no reason, you know, even though he's inventing the reason, I guess.
1: Exactly. He is. He's creating the reason. And so to say, like, oh, it's like she was unfaithful because she, like, made a promise but then was unfaithful. Didn't keep it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, no, 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 no. This man had a cupboard full of dead (laughs) women. He's not somebody that you should just like, like, oh, I promise. And now I'm going to keep all my promises to you because like, I value honesty. Like, no, no, no. There are other complicated issues at play with like, if you're married to somebody who um, is a murderer.
0: Yeah, I thought it was weird too, the use of the word jealous. I was like, in what way was he jealous of this? You know, in what way was he jealous in this story? I didn't think so. What you were just saying goes on to the the idea of the key and like giving the temptation goes on to the other moral of like, you know, curiosity in spite of its appeal often leads to deep regret or whatever. Yes. You know, it's like, and once you, you sate that curiosity, it's like exciting for a minute, but once it's there, it's like, it goes away and at a great cost or whatever. Yeah. It's kind of like, that's a weird moral to do too, because it's like it's both of these almost seem to be from Bluebeard's point of view. It's like, why are the morals being stated from
1: <laughs> Charles the, the villain's
0: like, like point of view? Charles you know? Perrault
1: is like, this man has been so wronged by this like woman. Who hurt you, Charles Perrault.
0: Like, I mean, it is like, it is a lesson. It's a lesson to her, but it's like she was almost murdered for opening a closet door, you know? No, like, that,
1: so she was given the key and whether she was curious or not, there were dead bodies in yeah. her house.
0: Which which is the worst betrayal? To be keeping a room full of your dead wives or to, to not open a door? In
1: your own that house. You were,
0: in your own house that you were given the key to.
1: Yeah, so it's like like, curiosity with its many charms can stir up serious regrets. Like, no, no, no. Marrying a murderer, marrying a bad <laughs> person is yeah. probably what would make you have serious regrets.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Thousands of examples turn up every day. Women give in, and again, it's women. Yeah,
0: he explicitly stated it's explicitly it too. Explicitly,
1: like, women give in, but it's a fleeting pleasure. Once satisfied, it ceases to be, and always it proves very costly. But what Charles Perrault also, by calling out women for this like curiosity, as a moral failing for women. Yeah. That has such a deep rooted history in mythologies. Oh yeah. Well, because I'm like, think of curious women who did things that they were not supposed to do. Pandora. Oh yeah. Psyche. Eve. Fair. Uh then I'm like, there are or more of uh, women. <laughs> there's <laughs> who, a lot. I'm not done. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, those are the first ones that kind of like yeah. pop up, like in my mind, especially cause like we talked about psyche that like her husband had been like, don't look at me when I sneak into your bed at night. Don't yeah. look at me.
0: It's like, and when there's someone sneaking into your bed every night, yeah,
1: you're definitely
0: going to want to get an idea of who this person yeah, is because they could be dangerous.
1: So then when she like, tries to preserve herself by making sure that she's like, who is this? Aware of
0: the situation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's like, oh, how dare you not trust like your husband who was keeping secrets from you.
0: (laughs) And it's so weird too, because like, uh, I feel like create like curiosity, especially today. And it's like, I don't know what it's like then. It's like, in some ways it's such a virtue, you know, like, they, there's that expression, curiosity killed the cat, but it's like that's like half the expression where it's like curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. Like when you're curious about something, that's how you learn. Oh, I'm curious to know why Bluebeard's blue beard was said that it was blue. I don't know why I can't say Bluebeard's beard was blue. Oh, there, I did it perfectly when I'm being an idiot. <laughs> but anyway. Like, you're asking yourself, why is Bluebeard's beard blue? That leads you to go down and discover, oh, at the time when it was written, the beard was, you know, it's like you, curiosity is how you learn something. And most of the time you are satisfied and fulfilled and you want to keep learning more because there's things that you're curious about that lead off of that, you know?
1: Yeah. And and in stories where the male character is curious, that's fine. Like, it's yeah. fine for, like, Jack and the Beanstalk to be like... Oh, this huge stalk grew in my backyard and went straight up into the air. I better climb it to see what's at the top. No one's like, oh, and then he died and he deserved it because <laughs> he was curious. You did almost uh, get
0: ground into bread or whatever by the giant. Or am I thinking of a different story?
1: Well, there, there are several He's giant like stories. Where, fo-fum.
0: Where,
1: yeah, that's Jack and the Beanstalk, yeah. 'Cause there's also the um the giant in the little tailor that he also wanted to like grind giants just want to grind up bones, bones to make, make bread. bread. Out of it. Yeah, that's like what they're into. It's just
0: what giants are known for. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But yes, women their curiosity is seen as something that always brings evil into the world. Yeah. That it's like, oh, like Eve got convinced to bite into this fruit that she was specifically told not to do. Oh, now they get kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Pandora, don't open that box. Oh, she opened it. And now all of the worst things about the world came out of the box. And it's like, why are we blaming women for curiosity of like, oh, how dare you? But it especially doesn't make sense with this story.
0: Because it's like, that is some life-saving knowledge that she got. And were the timing not horrible, she could have like run away or done something. You know, it's like he just happened to come back before she could come to her senses and be like, I need to get out of here before I get murdered.
1: Yeah. And so the story of Bluebeard became kind of a more famous tale type after Charles Perrault had it written down and it started to circulate and then people would talk more and more about like, Oh, this story, this story, this story, even though there were other tale types where the moral was not women being curious is bad. the like, it was more of a story of women being able to be witty and clever and get themselves out of trouble. Mm-hmm. But those stories have been less popular because they have a, Narrative that was kind of seen as less valuable to people at the time. They were like, nah, we don't really like this, like, constant story of, like, female empowerment. Um, <laughs> we would rather not. Uh, now I'm going to retell some stories that are Maiden Killer adjacent. Nice. They're called Rescue by the Sister, tale types. And what's funny is there are two that are in the Brothers Grimm collection, and one of them is child-appropriate, and the other one is not child-appropriate. But the one that is child-appropriate, if you don't understand the tale types, it sounds like like just one of the dumbest stories <laughs> like ever. Um, I'll give a quick synopsis. I mean, it's a very short one because it's for little kids, as opposed to the next one, which will definitely have a content warning. So this, this little story is called The Hare's Bride. Hare as in H-A-R-E, hare, um, rabbit. <laughs> and again, this one is the one that's, it's short and it's child appropriate, But try to think to yourself, if you read through this, if you would be able to just like understand it, or if this is one where you'd be like, um, something is going over my head. I don't understand what this story is doing in here. Yeah. There was once a woman and her daughter who lived in a beautiful garden with lots of cabbage and a little hare would come into their garden often to try to eat their cabbage. Peter Rabbit. (laughs) Just kidding. That's Beatrix Potter. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the mother would say to her daughter, Go into the garden and chase the hare away. And so the little girl went into the garden, but the hare said, Come, little maiden, and sit yourself on my little hare's tail and come with me into my little hare hut. Which, something that pops up a lot, which I should mention, is that common magical form of travel in.
0: Through the, the rabbit hole.
1: Through the. No. Through the Grimm's Brothers stories is riding on the tail of a small animal. Oh. So you'll hear stories where somebody will sit on the tail of a fox and be able to be carried. And so it's not totally weird that this, I mean, it is weird that uh, a rabbit is like, if you sit on my tail, I'll take you home with me.
0: (laughs) Um, But it has precedent.
1: Yeah, it has precedent. It's It's a thing. Yeah, yeah. It's a thing. So anyway, the girl said no, cuz that's weird. The next day, the hare came back. Her mom was like, "Go get rid of the rabbit." The little girl goes out to the garden and tries to scare away the hare, and he says, "Come and sit on my little hare's tail and I'll take you to my rabbit hut." And she says, "No," and he runs away. Then the third day. See we we got to the third day. It's okay. It won't it won't happen again. So So the mother's like, that hair is back in the garden. I need you to go get rid of it. So the little girl goes out and the rabbit is like, come sit on my hair's tail and come away with me to my rabbit hut. And so she does. And he carries her back to his home. Okay. So when they get to the house, he's like, now I would like you to cook my cabbage for me and you will be my wife and I'm going to go invite the wedding guests.
0: <laughs> you got tricked.
1: You got, you got tricked. So he like went out to invite a bunch of wedding guests, other hares. There was a crow. The crow was going to be the one that would marry them, which I'm like very relevant. Um, and then he also went to go collect some other friends that were around, you know, to be witnesses of this marriage and stuff. So when he went out, the girl was sad. Because she was like, oh, that's not what I wanted to have happen. I don't want to do this. So the little hare comes back and she has the door locked to his hut. And he's like, (laughs) open the doors. Open the doors. The wedding guests are here. But she just sits there crying. So he, like, goes away, comes back a couple minutes later, knocks on the door. And he's like, open it up. It's time to come out for your wedding. And she's just, like, sobbing inside. And he's like, come on. You can come out. All the wedding guests are here. And so what she decides to do is to take a a bunch of the straw that was inside of the the rabbit's house, and she put Mm -hmm. her clothes onto it (laughs) and dressed it up as if it was, like, her, and then she just went home. And (laughs) then with a little hair, opened the door to his house. He saw what he thought was his bride, and he was like, Why haven't you been coming out? You've been so naughty. And he whacks her and her head, like the head of the doll, like flies (laughs) off and he realizes he's been tricked. And then he's sad. The end. The end. (laughs) So, yeah, if, if you were a person who just read that story out of the Grimm's fairy tale book, you'd be like, what was that?
0: It sounds like a story that a kid would tell more than a story that's like four children. It's like, and then there was a rabbit that came, and then she she's scared off, and she wrote his tail, tale, and then he's like, it's time to get married.
1: And then she's like, no, I'm sad.
0: So she leaves her dolly, and he goes away.
1: But it's funny because this story follows the exact same form, except for it's a lot more gentle and yeah. that story. But it follows the same form as Fitcher's Bird. The story is also called Fowler's Fowl, which is the second Grimm's fairy tale in this that is a rescued by the sister tale type. So in the first one, the girl wasn't rescued, obviously, by a sister. (laughs) She just went home. (laughs) Yeah, she just went home. Uh, She was like, meh. Uh, and so it's kind of like, wait, I don't understand like why that's included. But then when I read Fitcher's bird, you'll be able to see like all the connections. So I looked up what Fitcher means. Cause I was like, what Fitcher's bird, what does Fitcher mean? Fitcher means like nothing. Hmm. And the Brothers Grimm, when asked about it, they were like, oh, it's important for people to know that like, like the etymology of Fitcher comes from ice, an Icelandic word for a swan-like white bird. Ah. Oh. Which which, no, which I'm telling you right now, it, it's... It's not even a thing? It's, well, like, it...
0: it doesn't, I mean, it's not helpful.
1: I, no, it's not helpful at all. When I tell you this story, it's not going to be helpful, and even inside the story. I'm telling you this ahead of time so that when we get to the point... Where I'm talking about Fitcher's Bird.
0: That we don't just get confused. Yeah, you're not
1: like, wait, what? You'll know that like, yeah, we're we're all missing it. Even the Brothers Grimm were like, I mean, it can be what you want it to be. But I think the Brothers Grimm, they were not the authors of, they weren't coming up with these stories. They were receiving them. Yeah. So it's not necessarily... Their job to know they didn't come up with Fitcher's bird. They weren't like, oh, I'm going to write it this way. And it has a meaning for me specifically. Like, no, they were just like, oh, this is what we were told. And now that's what we're writing. Anyway, I should probably tell the story. So there was once a magic sorcerer, a wizard, who would take the form of an old man and he would go house to house and beg for food, and catch pretty girls.
0: Not (laughs) ugly ones. So if you didn't get caught, you learned some (laughs) things about yourself that day.
1: Ah. Horsh! So no one knew where he would carry them off to, but the the girls would never be seen again. One day he appeared before the door of a man who had three pretty daughters. And Mm. two ugly ones. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But he did have sons. They don't mention that at the beginning, but you will see them. They'll pop up. Well,
0: oh, it's kind of nice for it, there to be irrelevant man children when it's usually like they don't bother to name the female children unless they're pretty young maidens.
1: Yeah, they're like, oh, the pretty young maidens. And yeah, normally they're like, <laughs> like all the boys are important. You have a hunter and a baker and a baker's wife. He's <laughs> like, oh, because she doesn't have a life of her own. Like she doesn't have a career path. So one day he appeared at the door of a man who had three pretty daughters. He looked like a poor and weak beggar. And he had a big basket on his back, which was interesting to think about. Cause it reminded me of like the research that I had been doing about like uh, the Krampus festival and stuff. Cause there's a, a character yeah. who goes around with a big basket on his back. And it's a bag of goodies, charitable goodies to like hand out to like children. But that's not what this basket was for. Uh, so he would knock on a door. And when the eldest came out to hand him a little piece of bread as an offering, the second that his hand touched hers, she zooped Into his basket. Whoa. Yep. And he was off. He hurried away with long strides deep into the dark forest where his house was. So when he pulled her out of the sack, he wasn't a poor old beggar. He was like an ordinary looking man. But his house had tons and tons of fabulous riches and was gorgeous. And some versions of the story... He is not looking for a wife. He's looking for, like, they say he goes around looking for, like, a housekeeper or, like, a house cleaner. <laughs> so he's not, he's, at this point, he's not married to this woman. He has just right. happened to kidnap her. Uh, but he wants to get to know her a little better. Uh, <laughs> so she lives in this, like, beautiful, opulent house with him for a while, like, eating fabulous food. And, of course, he has to go away for a time. And so he goes to her and he hands her
0: keys.
1: (laughs) Of course he hands her a key and then an egg because that's normal.
0: One of these things is not like the other.
1: I'm like, is this health class? Because he's,
0: if the egg is broken, when I come back, we're going to know you're not responsible enough to have a child. So
1: I get, he's like, this is the marriage test. Here's a key. Uh, Don't open the door that it unlocks. And here's an egg. Keep the egg safe, which, yeah, I'm like, preserve the egg carefully for me. Like what? Um, But he has, he told her to like continually have like the egg with her when she walks around. It's weird if a man said that to me. That's a red flag. That's, <laughs> Unless it's
0: Sanka and his lucky egg that helps them
1: <laughs> bobsled well. Lucky egg. That's a perfect reference. So she took the keys and the egg and she promised to obey him in everything. So when he left, of course, she like went around the house to kind of look at everything without the prying eyes of the owner of the house that's what all of us do when somebody leaves us alone. We start opening up all the drawers and <laughs> opening up all the doors.
0: Oh, wow! They keep their plates in this cupboard. Weird.
1: Yep. So when she got to the forbidden door, she was like, "Okay, should I do it? Should I not?" But her curiosity, <laughs> of course, overcame her, and she opened up the door, and it was dark inside. But when her eye, when her eyes adjusted she saw that there was a giant basin filled with the body parts of chopped up women. Ugh. And on the opposite end of the room, she could see a giant wood block with an axe stuck in it.
0: Huh. Wonder and what that's for.
1: Wonder what that's for. <laughs> and she dropped the egg into the basin. And oh. it didn't break, but it got covered in blood. So she quickly scooped it up and she ran out of the room because obviously the fun was over. (laughs) Once you see a basin of dead body parts, the game. You're never
0: quite the same.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. the the game game is over. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, I'm not having fun anymore. So when she got back to her room, she tried to softly clean the egg, but she couldn't scrub it that the blood had like soaked in and she couldn't get the blood all the way like off of the egg. And she was like, oh, no, no. Like, what am I going to do? So it wasn't long before the man came back from his journey and he immediately, of course, was like, I would like the egg and the key. She gave them to him, and she was trembling, and when he saw the red spots on the egg, he knew at once that she had been into the Bloody Chamber. Which is the name of the first Hand album. <laughs>
0: yeah! <laughs> the, Doolahan's, the, Bloody the Bloody Chamber.
1: The Bloody Chamber. <laughs> um and he said, since you have gone into the room against my will, you are going to go back into it against your own. <laughs> oh and my he gosh. grabbed her by the hair and drug her back into the room <laughs> and he chopped off her head and cut oh up her body and chucked her in the bin with the rest of them. Yeah, you didn't see that coming because that didn't happen in no.
0: uh,
1: Bluebeard. Jeez. You're like, oh, no, snap. <clears throat> so, daughter number one. So he goes back, because remember, oh my gosh. I told you the guy had three pretty daughters, Jeff. The last guy in Bluebeard, he only had two daughters, so we knew Anne was going to be safe. <laughs> but not this guy. This guy had three daughters. So, of course, he goes back, disguised as an old beggar man. When he gets to the door and knocks, daughter opens up the door to hand a piece of bread. The second that she touches, whoop! into his sack, and he does his long, crazy strides (laughs) deep into the forest, back where he came. And again, when... Uh, She got out and saw how beautiful it was. She's like, oh, I could stay here. Not thinking to herself, like, didn't my sister go missing? I wonder what happened to her. Hmm." No, she didn't (laughs) think that. That's not what's happened. Every single thing, and it says this in the story, that it basically is like everything that had happened to the first sister happened to the second one, which is great, because then it cuts out my (laughs) need to, like,
0: repeat repeat the whole thing. everything.
1: Like, oh, no, the egg, I drop it. And he's like, oh, you dropped the egg. Come back here. Chops over her head. Cuts off her body. Chucks it in the bin. So, third daughter. So he dresses up as an old man. Goes back to beg. The youngest daughter comes out to give him a piece of bread. Whoop! Into the sack, long, crazy strides into the forest. <laughs> whoop, whoop. I'm just, like, imagining just, like, his legs, like, elastic yeah. out as he's, like, walking. Um, just, like, that's how I picture it, like, in my head. So, crazy, long strides into the forest. He gets out. Third sister thinks to herself, what happened to my other two sisters? <laughs> her her uh, suspicions were aroused by the fact that women kept disappearing when old beggar mans came around. And considering she had just been kidnapped, she wasn't about to trust this old man. So when he went to leave, he gave her keys and an egg. And he told her, stay out of the room, take good care of the egg, do what you gotta do. So the first thing that she did was she put the egg away with great care. Smart. (laughs) Which it doesn't go into like whether she tucked it into a safe pocket. If her dress had pockets, good for her. I don't know. We've got like bosom pockets. All the ladies know what I'm talking about. So I don't know where she tucked that egg. But she kept
0: it on her person.
1: She must have because he had told her to keep it on her person. Or maybe she was like, "Eh, it's not really that important if I just like put it down and leave it in my room.
0: Yeah, I was like, I'll make a little nice little, you know, pillow sandwich with the egg right in the middle so that it's not going to get smashed while I'm away.
1: Yeah, I'm like, or she tucked it between her bosoms.
0: She dropped it off the roof just to test and she passed seventh grade science class. (laughs)
1: Perfect. Uh, So anyway, the first thing she did was she made sure that that egg was, like, nowhere nearby. And then she went snooping through the house because she wanted to find her missing sisters. She's like, no, 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 no. Fool me once. Shame on you. (laughs) Fool my family two
0: times. (laughs) Shame on us. Fool me three times.
1: Shame on me. So she went with her key, and this time, you know, they're not faulting, like, her great curiosity. They're like, no, 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 this is a woman with a plan. Yeah. So she gets to the door, and she opens it up, and she sees, obviously, the basin full of sister chunks. And She's so- like, I
0: recognize that hand. Oh, <laughs> oh, gosh, that was morbid.
1: That was so <laughs> I regretted
0: it as soon as it was out of my mouth.
1: <laughs> But anyway, so when she sees her sisters all in parts and pieces, she went into the room and she started to pull the pieces out of the basin and to start assembling them. And I'm wow, so she's sorry. She's
0: Frankensteining her sisters?
1: <laughs> this I is thought a, this was
0: going to be a good ending.
1: This is, it is going to be a good ending, I promise. Okay. So after she Frankensteins her sisters... <laughs> So once she gets all of the pieces all back together of her sisters with magic, whoop, they turn back into women, which I'm kind of like, oh, I wish that she'd kind of done that with with the other pieces. But then maybe she didn't know whose pieces were who. Yeah, she
0: she couldn't match them up together. Then we'd have a real problem on our hands with someone's like arm is on someone else's body.
1: Yikes. (laughs) So anyway, better to be
0: dead than to be mismatched with your body parts. I guess. Also, she's magic.
1: No, it's just, I guess. Oh, it's
0: just what, his house. He's a wizard. It's a wizard. Yeah, house. he's a wizard.
1: It's a wizard's house. Maybe the axe. It's like, oh, once you put the pieces back together, they whoop magic back together.
0: Who knows? It's anyway.
1: interesting. The story in Norway, when it's trolls, the troll has a magic ointment mm, that, that he that he he fixes a dead goat and she watches him fix the dead goat and right. then she goes and she fixes her sisters. So it's doing? funny because like in they have different workarounds or explanations and like different versions like of the story
0: which is cool. And this one they're just like, now we we skip the whole second sister. We don't we're not going to explain to you how the magic works. It just happens.
1: Yeah, it just happens. And also they don't explain like why the sister would know that if she like reassembled her <laughs> sister's body parts that that would work.
0: She was like, "Oh wow, I was just playing around, but But hey,
1: it worked. (laughs) Yeah, no, no explanation like whatsoever. So anyway, she puts the sisters back together and then she hides them in like a different part of the house. And she quickly changes out of her bloody clothes so that when the man comes back in, the wizard sorcerer man comes back in and he's like, give me a key and the egg. And she was like, "Okay." So she pulls out the key. And the nice clean egg. And he was like, oh, you have been true to me. You have been true and honest. I love you so much. You have stood the test. You shall be my bride. Which is like not a prize that she wanted. (laughs) Um, But he all of a sudden, you know, he's like, oh, I can trust you. So I guess now I love you. Trust is love, people. If there is no trust, there is no love. And it also says that now, at this point, because she like proved herself, he had no power over her, and he was forced to do whatever she desired. Which I'm like, Dang. yeah, but I also think it's one of those like kind of like asides where they're like, oh, if you've got a man who loves you and is whipped, then like he'll do whatever you want him to. So <laughs> I don't know whether they're like saying like the you know that's like oh this guy's so whipped. Anyway, it's fine, because I don't think it's magic. I think it's that he's like, oh, I love you so much that I'll do whatever you ask. Anyway, regardless of that non-explanation that we get, (laughs) she was like, oh, well, one of the first things that I would like you to do for me is take a basket full of gold to my mom and my dad, and you have to carry it on your back while I stay home and prepare for our wedding feast. And he was like, whatever you want, darling. And she's like, okay, but when you... Have this basket on your back. You cannot stop and rest along the way. I will be able to see you if you stop and rest along the way. And he's like, okay, okay, okay. So she obviously in the basket puts the two sisters, sisters, covers them with gold, And then the basket goes on the back of the wizard. Obviously, he didn't see what went into the basket. He just trusts his wife because she had a clean egg. (laughs) Therefore, therefore she's always trustworthy, always, instead of just really smart and sneaky. She was just really smart, is what the thing is. But he trusted her, puts the back on, and as he's walking, he's like, oh, this is really heavy, it's really tired, oh, my legs are getting so tired, maybe I'll put this basket down just for a second but then the sister one of the sisters inside goes i can see you with my eyes don't go resting you said you would go directly there and he's like oh my gosh i can't believe you still <laughs> see me she has crazy good eyes and so he like keeps walking and he delivers the basket back to the parents home and once they have the basket inside they open it up obviously the wizard is headed back to his house and doesn't see that when they open up the basket, gold coins fall out, and two maidens boop, pop up out of the basket. So, back at the house, the bride was preparing for her marriage feast, and by that I mean she was sending invitations to anybody who was friends with the wizard. I don't know if he had an address book or what. Like, I don't, like, <laughs> I don't must know. Have. Yeah, because she's like going down those, like, oh, this friend is coming to your house, and this friend will come to the wedding, and this friend. So then once she has all the invitations sent out, because, you know, when you're planning a wedding, like you have to do these things in order, like invitations go out first to make sure that people have enough time to come there. I'm just kidding. Yeah, then, the wedding was happening
0: Sunday. They, they have to RSVP saying whether they want the chicken or the steak.
1: Exactly. Of course. And meanwhile, while she's waiting for all those RSVPs, um, she takes a skull with grinning teeth. Which I'm like, all skulls have grinning teeth because they have no lips to cover them up. That's a science fact. Um, So anyway, she takes a skull with grinning teeth and she puts like jewels and ornaments and flowers. Like she dresses it up and puts it on top of a bunch of like straw that she's stuffed into some of her finest clothes. Mm -hmm. So here we get the straw getting shoved back into clothes. And she uh, places this mannequin of herself with the skull (laughs) on it. Looks
0: just like me.
1: She carried it upstairs to the attic window, her like crazy, creepy mannequin. (laughs) She took it to the attic window and had it looking down over everything. So when that was all set up, she dipped herself into a barrel of honey, cut open a a feather bed and then rolled all in the feathers of the feather bed until she was completely coated. And she looked like a wondrous bird and nobody could recognize her. So then she just started walking out of the house and it was as the wedding guests were arriving, because apparently they they all got their invitations really, really fast (laughs) and like were immediately like on board with this wedding thing. So as she was walking out again, covered in honey and a layer of, Feathers, the wedding guests are seeing her pass, and they're like, whoa, 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 who are you? Of course. And they say to her, Fitcher's bird, what are you doing here? Why are you at this house? (laughs) And she basically was just like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) "Mark."
1: Um. what are you doing? And she was like, oh, I was visiting the young bride. She's been sweeping from cellar to garret, you know, from bottom to top, getting the house ready for today. You can see her up in this window. And they like look up and they see the mannequin from afar. And they're <laughs> like, like, oh, she looks so lovely. <laughs> so she keeps on walking and... She along the way meets the bridegroom coming back, that creepy old man. Uh he wasn't the wizard. Yeah. The wizard is walking back from dropping off her sisters, and he sees her and he's like, Fitcher's bird, what are you doing here? He's like, I was visiting the young bride. She's been sweeping from cellar to garret all day long. You can see her peeping through that window and he looks up and he sees her and he thought how lovely his bride was. (laughs) So she gets all the way home. Dressed, you know, honey and feathers. (laughs) And when she gets back to her house, she tells those brothers that I told you about. She tells her brothers and her kinsmen what all has been going on. So they hop on horses and they're riding back. Meanwhile, the sorcerer dude, he's going up the stairs to get his bride or tell her to, like, come down. And she's, like, not moving. And so he's like, why can't you hear me? And he whacks her head, and her head flies off because (gasps) it is a skull on top of a mannequin. (laughs) And he's like, oh, no, I've been had. And he realizes that just as the brothers ride up, lock all the doors to the castle and set it on fire.
0: Oh, nice. And
1: the wizard and all his friends burn to death.
0: Oh, jeez. We don't the know that end. his friends deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> That'll teach you to RSVP to a wedding. Oh man.
1: Um Yes, and they all lived happily ever after. No. <laughs> <laughs> so what somebody did actually it has been noted that what's interesting about these stories is that instead of a situation where it is like They get married and then all of their dreams come true. It's you get married. It's a hot nightmare and you're safe going back to your home. And they're like, oh, that kind of turns that like kind of marriage narrative like on itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. But anyway, I love all the different variants of the story. But I also (laughs) I like so much that inside of the Brothers Grimm storybook they have Mm. one story where it's like that's not for children like that's that story i just told you i don't know if anybody is out there thinking about reading that story of the fitcher's bird to their children but they should not mostly because of the chopping women up into pieces with axes i think that's Mm. inappropriate personally myself (laughs) but then i love how they have one that it's like you can imagine like the one with the the hair as like uh-huh. oh this is an inappropriate groom for a a a girl it's an animal it's a yeah. little bunny rabbit an animal groom so inappropriate and then the whole like escaping by dressing up the, the like straw dress, dressing up the straw yeah, into a mannequin and like leaving. Yeah, there's so many fun variants. I mentioned while I was like telling that story that there's, yeah, one in Norway that is, the name of it, I think, is actually The Old Mother and the Hen, which is very confusing for a title because at the beginning of the story, the mom has three daughters and a hen, and the hen goes missing. And it's because a troll is using it as a lure to trick people into coming into his cave. Yeah. Um, And so it's funny because it's like Norway trolls, of course. Yeah. And then there are versions where it's like, oh, the, the wizard character or the sorcerer character in later years gets turned into the devil because we've talked about this before the devil. Often he's replacing like ogres, giants, whatever in stories where they're like, oh, we can easily make this into about, Staying away from the devil. Yeah. So stories like this one, where the story type is called Rescued by the Sister. Uh Uh-huh. And it's fascinating because instead of, like, in the Maiden Killer stories, where a woman has to be saved by her brothers Uh from, like, a monster of a husband. A monster in the sense that they're a horrible person. Not necessarily they're a monster in the sense that they're actually a monster
0: like a supernatural creature yeah supernatural
1: creature yeah i mean the scariest thing in the world a man man
0: with a blue beard
1: so we can see that in this story there's not like a bizarre moral tacked onto the end that's like oh and all the violence that was perpetrated against the woman was because of her bad choices
0: (laughs) yeah because the one who survived was just as curious and it ended up being the thing that saved her her and her sisters.
1: Yeah. And, like, the thing that kind of gave her the edge was that she had noticed, obviously, a pattern of, like, disappearing sisters. And so, and she also was suspicious of the husband. And so she, or the the sorcerer. So she wasn't, she was, like, she was suspicious. Her curiosity was based off of the fact that, like, she didn't trust this guy. For obvious reasons, he'd kidnapped her. Yeah. And he'd probably been the one that had kidnapped like her two sisters. And so what saved her was her curiosity about what happened to her sisters. Yeah. And the fact that she had wit, which we've talked about before that wit was seen as a, a gift of like being like clever and funny. And the way that she got out of it was clever and funny. Yeah. Cause she's like, oh, I'm going to trick this guy into, like, carrying my sister's back, like, on his back. And I'm also going to, like, dress up this very morbid mannequin. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, yeah, like, it was it was funny. And so what saved her was that she did have curiosity and wit. What, unfortunately, is also true is that stories like Fitcher's Bird, and also there's another story called The Robber's Bridegroom, which is Uh in here, but it's technically a different tale type. I say in here as in the brothers Grimm's um, stories where women are the ones that are engineering their, their own safe return. They're the ones who are like figuring out how to not only save themselves, but save their other women. So these stories are like women being able to protect other women. Yeah. From bad men by, by working together Mm-hmm. But those stories became less popular than Bluebeard. Yeah. That Bluebeard tale type and like kind of that encouragement of that message that like women shouldn't be curious. Women are the problem in that story that like, oh, that woman was going to get in trouble. And I guess in Bluebeard. And her also- sister
0: was completely useless in that story, too.
1: Oh, Yeah. Like, who's ch- all she was doing was, like, looking out the window, being like, oh, yeah, there's some guys coming. Oh, yeah, the guys are almost here to save us. Oh, yeah, don't <laughs> worry. Like, there's, like, brothers coming. Yeah. Um, and so what's interesting is that in modern times, women have taken these stories. Margaret Atwood, you might know her name from The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. You might know her from English class. (laughs) Or I guess there's also a Hulu series also. Yeah, I was going to
0: say, I know because of the Hulu series. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
1: She has written two books using Fitcher's Bird and The Robber Bridegroom as inspiration. Um, Mm -hmm. Bluebeard's Egg... And The Robber Bride, which normally I don't go for... I'm less interested, and a lot of people don't know this about me. I'm less interested in modern adaptations of fairy tales. Because what I like to study is what the old fairy tales say about the culture then. You're right. But I really want to read these books now by Margaret Atwood. Do it. Um, But then also, Cindy Sherman, who's a famous photographer... Mm -hmm. She did a series for I think it was Vanity Fair, also based off of Fitcher's Bird. And so more and more, there are women who are kind of reclaiming these stories that are about women saving women and like using them as like inspiration for what they want to like push now in the day that we live. Because it's like, obviously, I can't fix what Charles Perrault did in the past. And it's sad that like, that, that kind of, even though it makes no sense as the moral for that story, yeah, that that was kind of the message that was being pushed that like, oh, women are curious and ruin everything. And it's like, no, that, that is such a twisted moral, but it played into a narrative that people wanted to push at that time. And so it's kind of awesome to see it, the other stories about women being reclaimed and used today to like empower women. So it's important for us to talk about how these stories were changed and then redirected at children to like kind of force a moral onto them. Because in our next installment, when we will be talking about beauty and the beast, (laughs) like the installment of this series, it's not going to be our next episode. Sorry. We we're putting these in sporadically that way. Nobody's being tortured by all one thing. Anyway, when we go to look at Beauty and the Beast soon, we're going to see that the version that's the most famous, it was taken and changed so that it could be aimed at teaching young female children what was expected of them. And so talking about how Charles Perrault went about doing this is important and relevant to further discussions that we're going to be having. Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you are enjoying what we're doing, please support us by leaving us a review or share us with your friends. Special thanks to Andrew Forey for our music and Clarice Inch for our artwork. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by my fire, for we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Invitation by Shel Silverstein. But now, Jeff, I have to find Fitcher's Bird because I thought that I had both of them. Oh no, we can we can just read Old Salton. Old Salton is, guess what the story is about, Jeff? Racism. Oh, No, it's about a dog named Sultan. (laughs) I'm not even joking.
0: That's hilarious.
1: It's like, old Sultan? Oh, what is this going to be? It's a dog. I found the story I'm looking for. Nice.